We are going to lean forward into God's word this morning. I get so excited about Vision Days. Vision Sunday is, I'm, I'm in my spot on Vision Sunday. I'm in my bag. This is, this is uh, just a sweet spot for me right in the middle of my lane. I want to talk about vision stuff all the time um, with you. And so today, I just feel uh, really comfortable. And I pray that God speaks to your heart and challenges you this morning. Um, vision is our most valuable value. Vision is crucial. Um, if, and I would even say that vision is just as important as people are. We're all about people at Trinity. We're all about the next change life. But um, if you don't have a vision for people, you're going to damage the people when they come. Because without vision, the people perish. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He loved the lost. He loves us, but he had a vision for salvation for those people, to save them. And when you connect the people to the vision, something powerful happens. Um, there, is, uh, there is something beautiful happening here in our church family. If you have some spiritual sensitivity, you've probably sensed that there's just a growth mode that's been activated here. There's just a boop, just switch that growth mode on, flip that switch. It's happening in, uh, in us personally. It's happening in us corporately. And I want to talk a little bit about that as we go into God's word. You know, our, um, our priority at Trinity is not building a big church, but building big people. Um, and I don't just mean like huge, swole, muscle jacked people that just yoked and, um, and just ready to bench whatever. Um, I'm talking about being big in your faith, big in the amount of life and fruit that is overflowing through you, not just focused on church size. If attendance is bursting at the seams, but people's souls are crumbling and nobody is walking the walk, that's not church. That's just a building and a trend. We need to grow in our faith, that we would be obedient and honor God, that our worship would become more pure, that our, our intimacy with God would grow more fiery and passion-filled, that we would be consistent in spiritual disciplines, and that we would hear God's voice. Our priority continues to be building great faith. It says it on the wall as you walk in every Sunday, to know God to empower community, to live on purpose, and to make an eternal impact in Baltimore and around the world. Amen? We're building big people, but we also see that God is bringing us more people. Um, it, we know there are kingdom things we cannot do, just plain and simply. There's kingdom things that we cannot do unless we are willing to fail and unless we are willing to appear foolish by totally depending on Christ. So when we talk about vision, we're saying, okay, God, push me beyond what I see. Help me walk out in faith with assurance and confidence, fully persuaded on the things that nobody else can see yet that you're revealing to my heart, the things you're putting in front of our church. We, uh, we know that there's growth happening and growing pains are coming. I need you in this room, as part of Trinity Life Church, to have the maturity to make room for more. As growth mode is activated, uh, we have baby Christians in the room taking baby steps, understanding the basics of Jesus' heart. Praise God. Praise God. 
We have people that are meeting Jesus and getting to know him for the first time. They don't know where the book of Lamentations is. That's okay. People are taking steps. So when I preach a message on a Sunday, don't say, you know, I wish that message was more for me today. Say, no, praise God for the next changed life. Praise God that somebody is taking steps with the Lord. And you know the, the diversity in the room on Sunday mornings. Those of you that have more scripture memorized than me, and those of you that, that again, you're, you're just new to this whole thing, it is a challenge to uh, bring in every 13, 14-year-old ninth grader to our most seasoned saints and all take steps together. But man, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit uh, empowers this pulpit in these ministry times to feed everybody. And in every corporate word, there's an individual word for you um, with an an expectation that God has of obedience. And I, I would just say, you know, as we grow and we recognize, hey, we're not just about building a big church we're about building big, big people, but more people are coming. We need to just recognize that no one says, I had a baby and life got easier. Have you ever heard anybody say that? No, of course you haven't. You don't have a baby and life gets easier. We know growth is going to happen because God has given us a vision that is greater than our current resources. He's given us a vision so we know resources are going to grow. Growth is coming. But we have to, have to have a growing heart to be a growing church. If we say, God, advance your kingdom through us, but we're not willing to grow our Trinity Kids ministry team, then it's just lip service. Say, God, send us people that need you. Send us people far from you. Lord, we want to be a part of seeing them be redeemed, but we're not willing to serve them or care for them or sacrifice for them or lay down some preferences for them or take some extra time, get here a little earlier, join a serve team. Then it's just lip service. It's quiet in church today. This is not how I wanted to start Vision Sunday, guys. Is anybody awake in the room? Our heart is that everyone attached to this ministry will be standing in and walking out the vision uh, of our church, but also the vision God has for your life. You're not just here to serve Trinity's vision, but you're also here to gain clarity and gain support for what God wants to do in and through you. And, And can I just say, for what God is already doing in and through you. We wanna be that for you. We're all in this together. You know, I don't desire that 2024 would be a season of perishing or languishing or just wheel spinning for anybody that's a part of Trinity. I want you to be living on purpose for a purpose. You know, some people, they spend their whole lives chasing a vision that they are not graced for because that vision didn't come from God. Your parents saw your athletic ability and they encouraged you into commitments, athletic commitments that box out the room for what God is maybe really calling you to do. Or maybe you were encouraged into a path of a certain education style, a certain academic commitment, a certain school, and a certain career because of the financial success for that because someone was confused because they thought your purpose was money. Maybe uh, you're in the room today and you 
Uh, you, you have a vision for your life that came from you seeing somebody else's viral platform and saying, I want that much attention because then I will feel so loved. You know, people equate attention, they equate achievements, athletic uh, 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 success. They uh, equate those things with success and they equate success with purpose. But that's not where purpose comes from. Saul, King Saul in the Bible, he had, had been called by God to lead under God and honor God and lead the people. He was the king of the nation. You would look at him and say he's successful. But let me tell you that he was out of purpose because he wouldn't wait on the Lord. He was no longer interested in the leading of God. And he was out of purpose and out of God's vision for his life. Here's the rub. We are looking heavenward, but sometimes it's difficult. We avoid looking heavenward because when you see vision, it may contradict the way you've been doing it, how you've been living before you saw that vision. So vision brings correction and you have to correct what you've been doing wrong. But without it, we will accomplish little and our purpose will waste away. So this morning, let's look straight ahead. Let's look at God's word. Let's, let's get a vision of his glory and say, God, apply it to my life and direct me. Apply it to our church. I wanna share with you today that over the last several months, God's been speaking to me about a word that spans over the whole Bible. It's a theme that shows up on every page from page one to the word amen at the back, from the garden to the city of God. And uh, it's, it's a motif that continues to show up in every story of scripture. Uh, you know, a motif, it's that recurring melody that an orchestra will bring back through a musical or through a story. You know, do you want to build a snowman? And then later on, you hear, you just keep hearing it and hearing it. Um, this word is used 576 times in Scripture. We're not going to read all those Scriptures today, but I do need to prep you and let you know this is part one of two, a two-part vision message. I need to lay some groundwork today because next week it's gonna be very personal about, um, uh, about an extension of something I, I believe God has for us to do. Um, in, in this term, we see it defined in a variety of ways and employed in a variety of ways, this concept. It can kind of be obscure, magical, mystical, a little bit. It has a quality that's inexpressible and difficult to define. And that word is glory. Glory. Um, the words we see in Scripture, the biblical terms in Hebrew and Greek, and I'm going to get a little bit into some word stuff today, is, are these two words, kavod and doxa. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. They have different etymology, just different roots, but they um, have an identical meaning. Kavod, it means heavy, weighty, or great. Uh, we see this throughout scripture. Whenever something has a lot of mass to it, um, even in Judges, there is an evil king who is very overweight, and his name is Eglon, and they call him Kavod Kavod in the Hebrew. He was heavy, heavy. You know what I mean? That's not the vision for this year, for us to get heavy, heavy. Um, but I, I, uh, I wanted to explain that because that heaviness, it's, it's weaved through all the meanings of glory. And the noun version of kavod and doxa is glory. It's the oppressively heavy 
wonderful divine presence, the dwelling and abiding manifestation of God's presence. Now, this can be a physical manifestation, and then there's also a metaphorical usage of the word kavod and the word doxa, which simply means your reputation, your significance, your esteem in other people's eyes. Um, David, when he is being pursued by enemies who want to depose him as king, he says, my kavod is in the dirt. My name is mud to people. My reputation is so low. Jacob, when some of his sons go out and commit some evil acts, he says, do not associate my kavod with theirs. There's this metaphoric idea of reputation and significance. Um, It also, the noun kavod also means liver, your liver in your body. You know why? I didn't know this until about a week ago. Your liver is your heaviest internal organ. Your skin's your heaviest organ, but your heaviest internal organ, three to three and a half pounds, is your liver. So in Hebrew, the word kavod also means your liver. Super interesting. Um, And then as a verb, we see this used over and over in Scripture, and it's extolling the existence of God. It's praise. It's to magnify and proclaim God in worship, uh, vocally declaring him also in your words and in your deeds. Worship extends to all of these things. And, And when we zoom out and look at the Bible and see that glory is a, a thread that is stitched through every page, what I began to realize, there's about 12 stitches that emerge as um, a, a scriptural pattern and process of our experience in relationship with the glory of God. So today, our text is the whole Bible, and I'm just going to pull out 12 uh, quick words that are going to show us our experience of the glory of God, and what you're going to see is that there is activity to the glory of God. One clear activity from the start to the end. The Bible is the story of God's glory. Each chapter, our relationship and experience with the glory of God is different. Um, And and what we have to understand is we're getting thrust, when we open up Genesis 1-1, we're getting thrust into an ongoing story of the glory of God. It starts with God. Before there was anything we see and know, before we were here, God was glorious. God was perfect. He was great. He was beautiful. He was mighty. He, he uh, was, was thrilling. He was majestic. He was all of these things before anybody was there to see him. John 17, 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So we're thrust into this ongoing story in Genesis 1-1, and where we enter is the revelation of God's glory. God chooses to express it and communicate his glory um, to others. He creates others to be blessed by his goodness and also reflect and bless him back to glorify him. Uh, Hebrews 2.10, Romans 11, Colossians 1, they all mention that it is God for whom and through whom all things exist. Um, Creation is a testimony to his glory. So if you want to understand the importance and significance of God, you have to understand the importance of everything. Everything. When you go to the aquarium and you stare at the fish, we need to learn about the glory of God. 
When you go outside and you stare at the clouds in the morning, there's something there about the glory of God. Isaiah 6 is this temple vision that Isaiah gets, and, and he has this experience with these winged creatures, and, and they are screaming out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. So first we have this general revelation of the glory of God. We're going to get into some specific ones, but this general revelation that, that everything you see has an aspect of God's kavod, has an aspect of the glory of God. There's something in it that is a reflection of who he is. Praise God. Then we see in the creation narrative, there is enjoyment. There's revelation of God's glory, and then we see that we are created to enjoy his glory. At the top of creation, he makes humanity to be the ultimate enjoyer and the ultimate reflector. Does it mean that there's nothing of God in, uh, in your puppy? No, I'm not saying that. Your puppy, the way your puppy was made, the way your puppy uh, relates to the world, there's something you can learn about God, but we are the ultimate enjoyers of God's glory, the ultimate reflectors of who he is. We were made for God's glory, to experience it and give it back. It's the highest duty of mankind to glorify God. We are made to worship is a way we say it here. That's why oh, there's, just something, there's just something weird. There's just something like uh, 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 cloudy and foggy. It's not clear about who you are made to be when you come into the presence of God and you just Stick your hands in your pockets, clamp up, look down, and turn yourself off. Go into screensaver mode. Why? Because literally at the core of who you are, you are made to worship. You are made to worship. You're denying the most core thing about yourself. And, and if you leave the presence, uh, this corporate gathering in the presence of God on a weekend worship experience, and you go out, and your actions, and your deeds, and your relationships, and your work don't reflect who he is, they're not online, it denies who you are as a professor of God's glory in this world. To image him, being made in God's image, is to point and represent the reality of something greater. It's God's commissioning, human's purpose to reflect an image in what we do, how we work in our families, and what we make the world into. Psalm 8 says that God has crowned human beings with glory. He's crowned us with his kavod, we image God when we rule on his behalf in a way that honors him in his purposes and desires. Everyone is imaging God. Every person you know is imaging God. Unfortunately, some people are doing a very poor job of it and others are doing a better job of it. How can we, how can we reflect in a big, bold, bright, and clear way who God is? We're gonna get into that in just a second. Third thing we see in this scripture process is violation. We oppose and fall short of God's glory. Genesis 3, 6 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. And then Revelation three twenty three looks back to this and reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we oppose God's good desires, for our own selfish desires, we are all of a sudden falling short. We are violating. We are opposing. We are not walking in step with the glory of God. And this violation has serious consequences. Um, and that leads us to the second part of the fall of man, which is separation. We are removed from God's glory. And this is for our own good. 
If you've never read Genesis chapter 3 and seen God's benevolent grace and kindness in it, I just want you to understand what's going on. When we violated God's glory, it is heavy and oppressive wonderfulness of God. And all of a sudden, when there's cracks in our identity, when our existence becomes broken, it's just like if you were to place something heavy on something that's broken. It'll get flattened. It'll get crushed and destroyed. And so God removes Adam and Eve from the garden for their own survival. He couldn't walk with them anymore. He couldn't be with them anymore. Maybe near them, maybe approach them, maybe get in their midst, but he was now inaccessible to them in the way that he had been intimately known previously. Why? Because if they were to walk with God in his fullness, they would be crushed. So uh, for our own survival, God protects us by separation. The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken, and he drove the man out and placed on the Garden of Eden an angel with a flaming sword blocking the way to the tree of life. The next uh, stitch in this glory process in Scripture is limitation. We see throughout the Old Testament, God giving uh, limited but growing experiences of his glory to people and then the people of Israel. In Exodus 3, Moses has this experience that I want to look into a little deeper. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and there was an angel that appeared to him. I'm going to paraphrase here appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush did not burn up. It was a miracle bush. He said, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why it doesn't burn all the way up. And the Lord uh, saw that he had come close to look, and he calls to him from within the bush, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. God says this. He says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Even though God is bringing Moses close for a revelation of his glory, and miracles are glimpses of God's glory. He says, hold up, you can't come as close as I want you to come. Moses, I, I wish you could be, have a front row seat and beyond a front row seat, but stop, because you're walking onto holy ground right now. And he has an, a limited experience that then leads to a people being claimed for the glory of God from this burning bush encounter. Moses goes to Pharaoh. It leads to the plagues. It leads to the deliverance. And they return to that very same mountain where there is a a glory experience that becomes this physical manifestation that's a little bit more than the burning bush. Remember, we're seeing this gradual, these glimpses of God's glory growing and growing and growing. And he wraps this this people in covenant so that he can come a little closer to them. What happens is he uh, descends onto Mount Sinai. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to reference it here. Um, uh, in Deuteronomy 5.23 is a good uh, look back to it. It says, When you heard the voice out of darkness, and when the mountain was ablaze with fire... All the leaders of your tribes and elders came to me and said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. We have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. But now, why should we die? The great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord any longer. 
for what mortal has ever survived. Um, what's happening is this great glory cloud falls on the top of the mountain and Moses enters it and God by his own finger gives him the 10 commandments, creates a covenant people uh, through the law. But the people have a sense of God's glory as there's flames on this mountain, it's fiery, there's lightning, there's earthquakes that are happening and they are so filled with awe at the glory of God. And this is just, again, a glimpse of the glory of God. They're so filled with awe that they said, we are gonna die, Moses. Make it stop. We can't survive God's glory. Later, we see that this same glory cloud experience is coming to Moses over and over at the tent of meeting, becomes the tabernacle. And um, the, the word tells us that when Moses would go into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, and the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the pillar, they would stand at the entrance of their tent, and they would stand in worship, each at the entrance of their tent. Later, we see in Exodus 40 that uh, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this was their movable church, the tabernacle, where God would meet with Moses. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the place. And and Moses is meeting with God one day, and, and he says to God, now God, show me your glory. This is Exodus 33. It's kind of a, when we really zoom out and look at the totality of scripture, this is a preposterous request of Moses. But he senses the heart of God that wants to be with Moses, that wants to dwell with him and be near him. Because the Bible teaches us Moses has found favor in the eyes of God. God wants to be with him. Moses senses that, and he says, God, show me your glory. He says, Moses, if I showed you my goodness, if I showed you my glory, you would die. You can't see my face. You won't survive it. But I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and you'll see the very fringe tail, the last, the last little fleeting uh, uh, bit of my glory, and just that will thrill your heart, fill you with awe, and amaze you. We see this... Uh, this glory that rested in the tabernacle everywhere Israel went, we see it moving to the temple. In 2 Chronicles 7, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because God's glory filled the house. It's just a repeat of what happened with the tabernacle and the dwelling physical manifestation, Hebrews would call it Shekinah, abiding tabernacling presence of God, stayed in this one spot in Solomon's temple in the, the inner court, the uh, most holy place on top of the Ark of the Covenant, laden in gold. They called it the mercy seat in only one day, once a year. One priest, the high priest, could enter with the incense from the altar filling with clouds so that they couldn't even get a good look. They would go in and they would offer a blood sacrifice on the day of atonement for the sins of the people. That's how limited, that's how limited, even God's chosen people wrapped in covenant, that's how limited their access to God's glory was. He was in their midst, but they couldn't access him. Then a promise came pointing to the future restoration of people to God's glory. 
Um, all throughout the prophets, we see this promise coming. My servant will come. My servant will bring you back. He will be a light for the nations, and my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. And then the incarnation happens. God comes to purchase access for us into his glory once again. John 1 tells us Jesus was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is imaging the perfect image of the father. And we see God in human form. And then Jesus purchases our access to redemption. At redemption, a restoration cycle into the glory of God begins. We are reborn into it. This is amazing. It it's, happens out of God's activity received by our faith. So now we have, um, we have some responsibility in the, the movement, the ministry movement of this glory process. God acts, he touches, cleanses, and restores, and we receive. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2 so, says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through which we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have this down payment, this deposit inside of us, this already but not yet, where God has placed his glory within us and he is bringing us into his glory. His glory in us, us into his glory. That's where we're headed. I'm just wanna, gonna mention a couple of these things we're gonna get into next week, but he brings us into radiation to shine from within in an ever-increasing way the glory of God. Next week, I'm gonna share this through an illustrated sermon with uh, some physical objects, and I would just love for you to be here um, and receive what God would speak to you about extending his glory in the world. Then we see people living with devotion, fully living for his glory, obsessed one thing I ask people, Psalm 27, four says it so well. One thing I ask from the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty. Some translations here say, gaze on the glory of the Lord to seek him in his temple. Then Psalm 145, I will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might and all men may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's not the end of the movement of the glory of God. You see, in the end, there's confrontation. Every single person will be visited by the glory of God. Right now, in this church age we live in, we know what the angel said when Jesus was born. Peace on earth, good news to all mankind on whom God's favor rests. You see, God's favor rests on you. God's favor rests on everyone. He's given the, the amazing free gift of salvation. He's given everyone the opportunity. He's given access and made a way. God's done so much before we even take our first step. His favor rests on you. His favor rests on everyone but his glory can only rest on some. And on that last day when we stand before the Lord, Jesus's glory will be fully revealed. The glory of his sons and daughters, those who have chosen him by faith will be revealed. And people will either be eternally immersed, glorified, they will be in glory 
or they will be totally and endlessly separated from the glory of God. But everyone will be confronted by God's glory. And then lastly, restoration. We are fully restored to it. Those he justified, he will also glorify. Romans 8.30 says, salvation history is bringing us into this ultimate manner of existence. Good standing, perfect communion, total connection with God, no baggage, fear, shame, nothing to hide, nothing to lose, no tears, no pain, fully with him forever. In glorified bodies, no more aching bones, no more diseases attacking ourselves, but just every part of us fully radiating who God is. And, and again, I want you to understand, being glorified is not being deified. It's not that we become the objects of worship. We're still in this glorious worship service giving that kavod back to God. The, the thing that happens is we share in his glory. He glorifies us and brings us into a place where we can reflect his perfection forever. Um, and, and here's what I wanna share with you today. Here's the vision theme for 2024. You're going to see it on the wall. You're going to see it on the the merch. You're going to see it on our mission shirts. Everything we do, his glory is on the move. And we have to understand that God is intent on dwelling with us. He is intent on dwelling with man. We violated and were separated from God's glory. The story wasn't over. He gave us a limited, a glimpse of him. He is moving closer. He makes a people so that he can be in their midst to dwell among them, but they still can't access him. So he is incarnate and he sends his son. First, there was this this burning bush in the middle of nowhere for one man to meet with God. Then there was this mountain experience for a whole nation to be made his. Then there, there was this pillar of his presence that would fill the tabernacle and the temple. And, and then his glory like never before seen in the arrival of his son because that tension that God is present with us, but we still didn't have access because of our sinful state, still kept us separated. God wasn't done yet. His glory was on the move. He was taking steps towards us. And there's this unstoppable motion from the beginning, from the first page of the Bible, all the way into the book of Acts, through the the future in Revelation that we see, the healer is moving towards the wounded, the the every hell-bound demon and every twisted lie, every hate-filled human power tried to hold Jesus back, tried to hold the plan of redemption back, came upon him to to move him back, but his glory was on the move and nothing could stop it. And it's finally arrived in us, not just with us, in us because of redemption. So we now have responsibility. We have a job to do, not just to reflect his glory as his image bearers and and to give him back what he is due, but to radiate to other people an image of who God is, to share the glory of God that they have fallen short of, that all creation had fallen short of, to radiate and let them know you don't have to be separated anymore. You don't have to fall short anymore because all that you lack is being provided for you in Jesus Christ. This is the truth, church. The truth is that the mystery of the gospel is that how God has placed the glory of the knowledge of God displayed in the face of Christ in our hearts so that everyone could see him and know him. Glory is personal. Near 
near isn't enough. That's the story of glory on the move. Moses had this experience with God, and it was temporary, you see, because he, he didn't have a soul where the glory of God could rest. He had a broken, sinful soul without the redemption of Christ, and so when he would get near the glory of God, he would have this temporary glow from his heavenly contact that would fade and fade and fade over time. Moses was near. And that's all the people of Israel knew. So something happened when, when God is trying to communicate through Christ that a front row seat isn't close enough, that he wants to be permeating our existence and who we are. It happened in Matthew 17. Jesus goes up on a mountain, takes Peter, James, and John, and they're by themselves. And then in a moment, he is transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Remember when Moses said, show me your glory? Just pulling back on last week, God has created a billion trillion stars. I didn't get those words wrong. That's what science tells us today with our known galaxies. A billion trillion stars. He spoke them out. Our sun, 90 million miles away from us, we just last year, for the first time, got a satellite within 10 million miles of it without that satellite melting and totally falling apart. 10 million miles away from it. God spoke that sun out. And Moses said, show me your glory, <laughs> right? Show it to me. Here's the thing about the goodness in the wonder, in the beauty of God. He does something in us that enables us to experience the truth of his perfection inside of us. To begin something that someday will be fully completed, we can't handle it yet, but he's restoring us to it and he's giving us a soul that can walk into it with confidence. But his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And then there appeared with him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter says this. Peter said what any of us would have said who only knew about the glory of God on Sinai and the tabernacle and the temple. He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my son who I'm loved, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground in front of the glory cloud, terrified. Jesus came and touched them, said, get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, no one was with them except Jesus. See, Peter didn't know that this new creation life was possible. He didn't realize that Jesus did not become incarnate to be in a tent. He wasn't just making a new tabernacle experience, a new temple experience where his glory could be in a tent and people could come up on this Mount of Transfiguration and see it and get near it and, and see contact heaven for a moment and then have a temporary glow that faded. People coming up the mountain a hundred at a time. Peter says, let's put up a tent for you, Jesus, or your glory can just rest in this tent. What he didn't realize was glory became personal for us in Jesus. Salvation birthed this new reality into our souls and we have this down payment of this alter, ultimate manner of existence. He is not content with just a tent. He came to glorify you so that your existence could reflect 
his perfect existence so that he could rest in you. God is making himself a dwelling place in us. Jesus wasn't living his earthly life to be glorified just by Galileans and Jews and Romans and the nations of his day. He came so that we could be glorified, so that we could be with him for eternity. Not just so that we could see his transfiguration, but so that we could be transfigured into a new creation. That's the message of glory on the move. There's glory all around us. Glory moved away from us for our own protection and then moved closer and closer to us, moving near. And now Jesus is in the room today so the glory can be in us and through us. Would you stand? When we talk about Moses' experience of God, there's some of that for us this year. Experiencing God's glorious presence. We're gonna have that in this place when we worship him, in our devotion times, as we live our lives uh, submitted to God. There's an experience of glory, but also it's not just a year for like mystical stuff and just leaning hard on, um, on an experience of metaphysical things. It's a year for us to reflect and be missional about the goodness of God flowing through us into the world around us. That's glory on the move. So I wanna, I wanna ask you to just prepare your heart this week. Next week, I'm gonna talk to you about what it means to reflect the Lord's glory in our world. And I think he's gonna give you some personal guidance and direction. In this moment, we're gonna pray. We have a lot to think about and study. You might do your own study this week, so much about the glory of the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. I wanna just prep us. This is kind of incomplete, part two's coming, but God's speaking to us. He wants to open a new door today in your experience of him that maybe you didn't know was possible about experiencing his goodness and his power, his greatness. There's something in your soul that is susceptible to glory gravity. You crave beautiful things. You crave amazing things. You crave things that are wonderful. You crave things that are perfect. You work so that things can be true and right and good. And all of those things speak to the glory of God. But my encouragement to you is that God's opening a door for you this year, direct access into experiences of Pentecost, of his Holy Spirit in the, the manifestation of his glory falling on you, uh, burning inside of you that is beyond what you have known and beyond what I have known. I am looking for those experiences. I am looking for revival. I do want Trinity to experience, but also we're gonna reflect his glory. It's not enough anymore. We can't be satisfied with a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of the glory of God. We need to get closer. We need to get in that glory cloud and say, God, fill us again. Fill us anew. 
Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to just be with you. Lord, mark 2024 by your presence in this place. Mark it, God, by your voice in our ears. Lord, by you thrilling our souls. Those, those sensations we get, God, when we get in your presence and we say, there's no place I'd rather be. I never want to leave. I only want to be where you are. Just let me gaze upon your beauty. Let me dwell in the house of the Lord. Just let me be with you. Satisfy me and overflow me. God, drinking from your cup, Lord, is the only well that fulfills me, God. It's greater than, than my career. It's greater than uh, all, all the habits I have or the hobbies I have. Jesus, I want you more than anything. Restore that verve and passion and desire inside of me because I know your intent, God, to bring your glory to me. You're passionate and you desire to dwell with man. God, let me be that man. Let me be that woman that houses you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and we look forward with great hope and enthusiasm on the days to come in Trinity. Amen and amen. Let's sing this song together.